This is literally everything, 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 everything. If you're like me, you have a pile of books older than your grandma's mom and taller than the Empire State Building just begging to be read. To top it off, you probably add several books to said pile every week, yet somehow find yourself in a reading slump with nothing to read. Uh Uh-huh, I see you. In an attempt to tackle my never-ending pile of books, I decided to start a podcast with hopes of making some sort of dent in said pile, and maybe help inspire your next read. I'm Odell. Welcome to Just Read It Already. Happy Monday, fellow book nerds. Hope your week is off to a good start. It's a Friday night when I'm recording this, and I'm sitting here enjoying a glass of red wine. The brand is Menage Trois. Hello. And this flavor, or blend, I don't know, I'm really dumb when it comes to wine, but it's called Dolce. It's definitely a sweet, desserty like wine. It's a mix of raspberry, blackberry, and vanilla. It's dangerously tasty. Like, I'll admit, I'm on my second glass, so who knows what's going to come out of my mouth today. On this episode, I'm going to share my thoughts on PJ Vernon's Bathhouse, Taylor Jenkins Reads' The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, and Alex Finley's What Have We Done? But first, as we usually do, let's take a look at this week's new releases. We will start with Happy Place by Emily Henry. The blurb for this one reads, A couple who broke up months ago make a pact to pretend to still be together for their annual week-long vacation with their best friends in this glittering and wise new novel. Next we have With My Little Eye by Jocelyn Jackson. The blurb reads, A hair-raising story of a mother who moves herself and her daughter across the country to lose a dangerous stalker, only to discover that it will take more than distance to escape him. That sounds interesting. I'm definitely going to keep my eye on that one. Next, we have In the Lives of Puppets by T.J. Klune. This is a science fiction fantasy. And the blurb reads, Author T.J. Klune invites you deep into the heart of a peculiar forest and on the extraordinary journey of a family assembled from spare parts. I just said extraordinary, really weird. Next is Honey Baby Mine by Diane Ladd and Laura Dern. This is a collection of deeply personal conversations from award-winning actress and activist Laura Dern and the woman she admires most, her mother, legendary actress Diane Ladd. Next, we have The Eden Test by Adam Sternberg. This is an electrifying domestic suspense novel about a couple who are forced to the ultimate extremes to save their marriage and themselves. Next is Fifth Avenue Glamour Girl by Renee Rosen. This is a historical fiction. It's 1938, and a young woman selling face cream out of a New York City beauty parlor is determined to prove she can have it all. Her name is Estee Lauder, and she's about to take the world by storm. Next is For You and Only You by Caroline Kepnes. From New York Times bestselling author Caroline Kepnes comes the next novel in her hit You series, which follows Joe Goldberg to the hallowed halls of Harvard University, where he earns a coveted place in a writing fellowship and leaves Crimson in his wake. I believe, and yes, I'm totally out of the loop here, but I think this is what that Netflix series You is based on. I've never watched it. I know, I know, I know. Everyone tells me I need to. But 
I believe this is a book in that series. Anyway, next we have The Last Word by Taylor Adams. The blurb for this one reads, After posting a negative book review, a woman living in a remote location begins to wonder if the author is a little touchy or very, very dangerous in this pulse-pounding novel of psychological suspense and terror. I definitely pre-ordered that one in case I need to pick up some tips in the event that I pick up a disgruntled author over the course of this podcast. Next, we have Mastering the Art of French Murder by Colleen Cambridge. This is a new mystery set in Paris starring Julia Child's fictional best friend, confidant, and fellow American. It provides a fresh perspective on the iconic chef's years in post-World War II Paris. That one also sounds interesting. Didn't pre-order it, but I'm going to keep it on my watch list. Next is Small Mercies by Dennis Lehane. This is an all-consuming tale of revenge, family love, festering hate, and insidious power set against one of the most tumultuous episodes in Boston's history. Set against the hot, tumultuous months when the city's desegregation of its public schools exploded in violence. Small Mercies is a superb thriller, a brutal depiction of criminality and power, and an unflinching portrait of the dark heart of American racism. It is a mesmerizing and wrenching work that only Dennis Lehane could write. Next is You Shouldn't Have Come Here by Geneva Rose. The blurb for this one reads, Grace Evans, an overworked New Yorker looking for a total escape from her busy life, books an Airbnb on a ranch in the middle of Wyoming. When she arrives, she's pleasantly surprised to find that the owner is a handsome man by the name of Calvin Wells. But there are things Grace discovers that she's not too pleased about. A lack of cell phone service, a missing woman, and a feeling that something isn't right with the town. And last on my list is This Delicious Death by Kayla Cottingham. It's a young adult novel, and the blurb reads, Four best friends, one music festival, and a cooler filled with human organs. This summer is about to get gory. This week, out of that list, I pre-ordered The Last Word, and you shouldn't have come here, and I'm seriously considering snagging This Delicious Death as well. Other books that I bought this week, thanks to BookBub, my new best friend, include The Soulmate Equation by Christina Lauren, Girl 11 by Amy Suter Clark, and The Way I Used to Be by Amber Smith. And of course, I added a few more to my watch pile, meaning I didn't buy them, but I probably will at some point in the future. These include The Secret Lives of Country Gentlemen by KJ Charles, Blood Like Magic by Lisselle Sambury, or Liesel Sambury, and When You Find Me by PJ Vernon. All right. Let's jump into the reviews. I'm going to start with Bathhouse. This book was written by PJ Vernon and was first published by Doubleday Books on January 15th, 2021. The synopsis reads, Oliver Park, a young recovering addict from Indiana, finally has everything he ever wanted, sobriety and a loving wealthy partner in Nathan, a prominent DC trauma surgeon. Despite their difference in age and disparate backgrounds, they've made a perfect life together. With everything to lose, Oliver shouldn't be visiting House, a gay bathhouse. But through the entrance he goes, and it's a line crossed. Inside, he follows a man into a private room, and it's the final line. Whatever happens next, Nathan can never know. But then, everything goes wrong. Terribly wrong. And Oliver barely escapes with his life. He races home in full-blown terror as the hand-shaped bruise grows dark on his neck. The truth will destroy Nathan and everything they have together. So Oliver does the thing he used to do so well. He lies. What follows is a classic runaway train narrative full of the exquisite escalations, edge-of-your-seat thrills, and oh-my-god twists. 
P.J. Vernon's Bathhouse is a scintillating thriller with an emotional punch, perfect for readers curious for their next must-read novel. This one really surprised me. I love seeing LGBTQIA stories being told, especially ones that are outside the steamy man-on-man romance written by a straight woman, <laughs> or the quirky gay rom-coms that seem to be everywhere now. And by the way, there is nothing wrong with either of those genres at all. I appreciate any positive representation. I'm just saying that it was nice to find something different. I tend to lean toward gritty stories with unreliable narrators and questionable decisions, and you know I love a good thriller, so this was perfect for me. It had all of that in spades, and it did it without falling into demeaning stereotypes or awful cliches. So the book kicks off with Oliver Park sitting outside a gay bathhouse in his car. Oliver is a former addict who was swept off his feet by Nathan Klein, a talented trauma surgeon 10 years his senior, from Washington, D.C. Nathan is in New York at a conference. Oliver has seemed to have fallen back on his days of risky behavior. His relationship with Nathan has become a bit ho-hum, so he's decided he's going to go out and have sex with a stranger. It'll just be this one time, he'll get it out of his system, and Nathan will be none the wiser, things will go back to normal as soon as Nathan gets home. So, at first, Oliver spends a fair amount of time going through the reasons he shouldn't do this, and we can feel his anxiety rise as he's going through this should I or shouldn't I while he's sitting in his car. Before we know it, he's signing in, he's handing over his credit card for incidentals, he rents a locker, he gets undressed, and it doesn't take long before a hot guy is sliding up next to him. The guy introduces himself as Christian, and he obviously wants to have sex with Oliver. So Oliver goes into a private room with the guy, they start making out, it gets hot, it gets sweaty, the guy flips Oliver around like he's about to do him, and then Oliver feels the guy's hand clamp down on his throat, and before he knows it, he's fighting for his life. Oliver barely escapes before losing consciousness. The guy chases him out of the club, but Oliver manages to get in his car and drive away. He is completely wrecked. He gets home, he's freaking out. He falls asleep, but there's no denying that something awful happened, and there's no way that he can hide this because he has this enormous bruise on his neck from where the guy was strangling him. Nathan will be home in a day or two, so what's he going to do? Well, naturally, he's going to do what anyone in danger of losing their stability would do. He lies. He calls Nathan on FaceTime. Nathan immediately sees the bruise and asks him what happened, and Oliver tells him that he was out jogging and he got robbed. A quote from chapter 6 of the book reads, There, I've said it. The bomb detonates with a concussive blast. I'm no longer in control of the damage it does. Nature and chance will determine what its fires burn and consume and destroy. And that it does. After Oliver has told Nathan that he was robbed, he now has to make it look as though he actually was. He has to get rid of his wallet, which actually helps explain why his card is missing. But then he gets a message on a hookup app, and it's Christian, the guy who tried to kill him. Fearing for his life, he reports the actual attack to the police. So they're on it. But then when Nathan gets home, he asks where the police report is, and Oliver tells him, well, I didn't go to the police yet. So Nathan drives Oliver directly to the police station to report the robbery that allegedly happened while he was out jogging. So now what does he do? This is only the beginning of Oliver's dilemma. Christian is obviously still after him. Oliver is afraid that he's going to come after him and Nathan. The police think he's a liar because they have two different versions of the story now. And to make matters worse, Oliver's ex-boyfriend, the one who used to beat him and got him hooked on drugs in the first place, 
has suddenly resurfaced. The book is told from both Oliver and Nathan's points of view, and we also get flashbacks to Oliver's life before Nathan, as the book rushes toward its very surprising ending. Now, to say more about the plot or the story would give away the twisty, turning reveals, so I will stop there. I've said it before, I'm pretty good at guessing what's going on, but this one surprised me in major ways. I love questionable characters that you want to slap, but you also want to be okay. Oliver was exactly that type of character. He's badly broken. He really wants to do what's right. He got himself in this horrible situation and watching him try to make it better yet somehow dig himself even deeper is both anxiety inducing, but a whole hell of a lot of fun. You want Oliver to be okay. You actually want him to be able to lie his way out of this while maintaining his relationship with his handsome sugar daddy trauma surgeon. Even if Nathan is a little, I want, I wouldn't say creepy, It's just weird. He refers to his snobby parents as mother and father, and that's just so creepy to me. But, I mean, he's you can tell he's a good guy. He really loves Oliver. I I don't know. He just, he seemed kind of bleh compared to Oliver. Now, as I often do, when I really get into a book, I cast it in my head. And in this case, I saw Matt Rogers as Oliver. And Matt Rogers has been in a lot of things lately. Most notably, to me at least, is the Showtime series, I Love That For You, with Vanessa Bayer and Molly Shannon. Love that show. If you've not seen it, definitely watch it. I also pictured either Matt Bomer or Zachary Kinto as Nathan, and then Cheyenne Jackson as Victor, Nathan's close friend. I didn't have anyone in particular in mind for Hector, who is Oliver's ex, or Christian, the creepy, stocky choker dude. The latter needs to be tall and European, so maybe someone like Bill or Alexander Skarsgård. I could actually see one of them playing that character very well. If you like a good thriller, especially one that will keep you guessing, I highly recommend this book. I gave it four and a half. Well, I gave it four stars on Goodreads, but it's really more of a four and a half. Definitely check it out. We are going to take a quick break and then we'll come back for the last two reviews. All right, next we're going to chat about Taylor Jenkins Reads, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. This review will have slight spoilers, so if you don't want to hear them, move on to the next review. This book was first published by Atria Books on June 13th, 2017, and was a Goodreads Choice nominee for Best Historical Fiction that same year. The synopsis reads... Aging and reclusive Hollywood movie icon Evelyn Hugo is finally ready to tell the truth about her glamorous and scandalous life. But when she chooses unknown magazine reporter Monique Grant for the job, no one is more astounded than Monique herself. Why her? Why now? Monique is not exactly on top of the world. Her husband has left her, and her professional life is going nowhere. Regardless of why Evelyn has selected her to write her biography, Monique is determined to use this opportunity to jumpstart her career. Summoned to Evelyn's luxurious apartment, Monique listens in fascination as the actress tells her story, from making her way to Los Angeles in the 1950s to her decision to leave show business in the 80s, and of course, the seven husbands along the way. Evelyn unspools a tale of ruthless ambition, unexpected friendships, and a great forbidden love. Monique begins to feel a very real connection to the legendary star. But as Evelyn's story nears its conclusion, it becomes clear that her life intersects with Monique's own in tragic and irreversible ways. I loved this book. It was not at all what I expected. 
I first saw it floating around on Instagram a year or so ago. I follow several of the Real Housewives there, shocker, and I remember seeing both Kyle Richards from Beverly Hills and Caroline Manzo from New Jersey reading it. The cover and the title made it look like some sort of sweeping Harlequin romance, which is not at all my speed, so I didn't bother with it. But then a friend said how good it was, and then I read Daisy Jones and the Six, which I loved. If you listened to last week's episode, you already knew that. So I decided to give this one a go. I am so happy I did. It's one of those books that starts as one thing, but by the time it ends, you are in a completely different headspace. It begins with Monique Grant, a writer for Vivant magazine, being called into the office of Frankie Troop, her boss. Turns out, Evelyn Hugo, one of the biggest Hollywood stars of her time, I imagine someone like Elizabeth Taylor, or I guess modern time, you would think of maybe Meryl Streep or something like that. But Evelyn's people have contacted Vivant magazine because after all of these years, Evelyn wants to be featured in the magazine. She's been out of the public eye for years, and this would be huge. What's weird is Evelyn's people called and requested Monique specifically, but no one understands why. Even Monique. She's done no major stories. She's still working up to that. So this would be huge for her. So of course she agrees. When Monique first meets Evelyn, she quickly realizes that Evelyn is someone who likes to take control. And it's abundantly clear that Evelyn will reveal everything, but on her terms. She doesn't want to do a simple cover story for the magazine. She wants Monique to write her life story. The only caveat is it can't be published until she's dead, but Monique will get to keep all of the proceeds. Now, Monique knows this would be huge for her. She would make all kinds of money from this, and Lord knows she could use it. Her husband just left her. She's trying to get back on her feet. The problem is, if she can't sell the book until Evelyn is dead, what's she going to do in the meantime? Frankie, her boss, expects a cover story, and if Monique can't deliver that, she very well might lose her job. In chapter 4 of the book, Evelyn says to Monique, and I quote, When you're given an opportunity to change your life, be ready to do whatever it takes to make it happen. The world doesn't give things. You take things. So Monique hopes maybe she will be able to persuade Evelyn into agreeing to a cover story and a book deal. So she throws caution to the wind and jumps in. But before she begins, Evelyn tells Monique that she knows Monique is going to hate her before she finishes her story. We, the reader, find out all about Evelyn's glamorous life at the same time that Monique does. We learn that Evelyn's beautiful Cuban mother was a showgirl in New York. They lived with her father in Hell's Kitchen, and her mother dreamed of being a movie star. She wanted to take herself and Evelyn out of Hell's Kitchen and away from her abusive husband, but an untimely death prevented that. A few years later, when she's just 15 years old, Evelyn leaves Hell's Kitchen for California to honor her mother and become a star herself. Her life story takes us through her seven husbands. We meet Ernie Diaz, the man she married in order to get from Hell's Kitchen to California, and then Don Adler, a hot young leading man who has a big ego and a very short temper. She is also married to a singer at one point, a film producer and close friend who's also gay, and the brother of one of her closest friends, among a few others. Though she was married seven times, it was never to the one person she loved more than any of these men. It was actually a woman that she was in a secret relationship with for many years, but could never publicly announce because of the way it would negatively affect them and their careers. At one point in the book, her lover says she will give it all up so she can be with Evelyn. Surely it wouldn't be the end of the world, to which Evelyn replies, I wish the world was ready to be the way you see it. 
I wish that the rest of the people on Earth with us were capable of living up to your expectations. But they aren't. The world is ugly, and no one wants to give anyone the benefit of the doubt about anything. I think that especially struck me, seeing as how, even today, there are people in this world who are still trying so hard to take away people's rights simply because of who they love. This is a beautiful story that is about so much more than a Hollywood starlet who has married seven times. It's a story about what lengths we go to love someone even when the world tells us it's wrong. The book is perfectly paced. I was captivated the entire time, so much so that whenever Evelyn would throw in a, you're going to hate me by the time the story ends, I kept thinking, what could she have possibly done that Monique would hate her? When the reveal of why she wanted Monique to be the one to write her story came around and why she felt Monique would hate her, I was completely blindsided and I loved it. But my emotional reaction wasn't as extreme as Monique's. I mean, I kind of understood why Evelyn did what she did. I understood why Monique was upset, but in my opinion, her reaction felt a bit extreme. I won't go into that further because I don't want to spoil the book for anyone who hasn't yet read it. But if you have, shoot me an email or a voice message from the website and let me know your thoughts. I'd be interested to hear. I read where Netflix is adapting the book, and from what I understand, they're adapting it as a movie. I feel like there's way too much material here for a movie to do it justice. I hope they change their minds into a limited series instead. I feel like that would better cover everything. There's no word on casting, though I've seen many people saying Jessica Chastain should play Evelyn. I disagree. Despite the fact that she could play her very well, Evelyn is Cuban, and so they need to have a Cuban actress player. My vote is for Anna Diarmas, or Diarmas, however you say that. Hello, wine. We already know she can do Blonde after playing Marilyn Monroe in Blonde, and I think maybe they need to have Rita Moreno play the older Evelyn. I can see Jessica Chastain playing Evelyn's love interest, though, for sure, because she was a redhead. I also pictured either Zoe Kravitz or Journey Smollett as Monique, and Yvonne Orji from Insecure as Frankie. I pictured Michelle Yao as Grace, Evelyn's housekeeper, and maybe Matt Rogers again as Harry, Evelyn's fifth husband. This was an amazing story and a completely captivating read. I gave it a very solid 5 out of 5 stars on Goodreads. Okay, let's finish up by looking at Alex Finley's What Have We Done? This book was first published by Minotaur Books on March 7th, 2023. The synopsis reads, A stay-at-home mom with a past. A has-been rock star with a habit. A reality TV producer with a debt. Three disparate lives. One deadly secret. 25 years ago, Jenna, Donnie, and Nico were the best of friends, having forged a bond through the abuse and neglect they endured as residents of Savior House, a group home for parentless teens. When the home was shut down, after the disappearance of several kids, the three were split up. Though the trauma of their childhood has never left them, each went on to live accomplished, if troubled, lives. They haven't seen one another since they were teens, but now are reunited for a single haunting reason. Someone is trying to kill them. To survive, the group will have to revisit the nightmares of their childhoods and confront their shared past, a past that holds a secret to why someone wants them dead. It's a reunion none of them asked for or wanted, but it may be the only way to save all their lives. What Have We Done is both an edge-of-your-seat thriller and a gut-wrenching coming-of-age story, and it cements Alex Finley as one of the new leading voices in thrillers today. I think that last bit is a bit of a stretch there, but it was, it was an enjoyable read. 
I was really looking forward to this book. I love my mysteries and thrillers. This sounded right at my alley. I'm not exactly sure what I was expecting. It just wasn't what the book ended up being. The book opens with a prologue of sorts where there's an open grave, people are standing above it, they fire into the grave, and then someone asks, what have we done? And then in the next three chapters, we jump forward a few years. First, we meet Jenna, one of our main characters, then Donnie and Nico. Jenna is a suburban housewife who we learn has recently married a man. He has two daughters from a previous marriage. That wife passed away. The teen daughter hates Jenna, as we would probably expect, but Jenna seems happy. That is, until she gets a text from a random number saying they can't wait to see her at the gym. But Jenna hadn't planned to go to the gym today, but something draws her there. That's when she's given a duffel bag with a disguise and a sniper rifle and a target. Yeah, Jenna used to be an assassin, and let me tell you, I loved this. I have this thing for tough women who are actually spies or assassins. I don't know what it is. I love a woman who kicks ass. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, any of that. Love it. I used to love the TV show Alias. Anyway, the assassination attempt goes south. Jenna soon realizes it was a setup, and she was the one who was to be assassinated. Then we flip to Donnie. Donnie is a washed-up rocker. He spends more time partying than playing music. He and his band are reliving their heydays on a cruise ship, but Donnie's partying has gotten the best of him, and he is moments away from being kicked out of the band. But before that can happen, he meets a beautiful woman on the boat. They walk out to the deck, and she forces him over the side. Then we meet Nico, a reality TV producer. He is on set at a mine where he's filming his hit TV show, when some woman shows up and sets off an explosion that traps him inside. Now, while all three of our main characters survive the initial attempt on their lives, they eventually find their way back into each other's lives when they return to the crappy town where they lived together in that youth house. They had all been involved in something when they lived there that resulted in someone ending up dead, and in turn, someone wanting them dead several years later. But why? Initially, I thought, when I read the synopsis, that they had accidentally killed another kid who lived with them, and either that person survived and came back for revenge, or someone saw what they did and is now after them for money or blackmailing them or something. If you thought that too and you got all excited and want to read the book because of that, that is not the outcome. Honestly, I was okay with that because that story has been told way too many times, especially in 80s horror flicks. It's kind of tired. I was actually okay with the reveal. It was definitely a twist at the end. I enjoyed that. It was a nice little surprise. The problem for me with the book was it felt a little uneven, both in the pacing and in the characters. Most of the story takes place in real time as we switch between Jenna, Donnie, and Nico's points of view. But then we also get some flashbacks to when they were kids, and I wanted more of the flashbacks. I felt like maybe this would have given me more of an emotional connection to them. We got a piece of it, but I don't feel like we got enough. And then later in the book, we get another point of view of the assassins who are out to kill our three friends. To me, this ruined the mystery a bit. It felt unnecessary, and I didn't really care so much about their points of view. I feel like that could have been covered in a different way. I didn't feel much of a connection between the three main characters. Again, I feel like if we had had more of them as kids, we would have felt that a little more. I just wanted more of that story from when they were younger. 
In a nutshell, I enjoyed the book. I didn't love it. If someone came asking for a thriller mystery recommendation, this wouldn't be at the top of the list. There were elements of the book that really worked for me, but in the end, it felt like there was just way too much thrown into the overall story and it muddied it up too much. It kind of felt like a Ryan Murphy show. There were too many characters, not enough substance. I gave this one three stars on Goodreads because it was an okay read, but honestly, it's more like two and three quarters for me. That's all I have for you today. Don't forget to rate and follow on your favorite podcast app. And if you want to learn more about any of the books I discussed today, check out the episode page on the website at justreaditalready.com. This is also where you can send me a message or a voice message, and I'll play it on the show. I'd love to hear from you. Be sure to join me next week when I share my thoughts on Christopher Golden's All Hallows, Onyin Yabanelli's Someday Maybe, and Colleen Hoover's Verity. I hope you have a great week. See you next time. Oh,